0: Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 538 of the Juicebox podcast. Kelsey's here, everybody. Kelsey's had type 1 diabetes for uh, quite some time, almost two decades. When this was recorded, she was 28 years old. And she came in to talk about the last three years of her life where she's been significantly impacted by a traumatically low blood sugar event. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. I want to thank everyone who has supported the show through buymeacoffee.com forward slash Podcast. Some new members include Susan, someone who calls themselves someone, Yoli, Alexis, Kristen, Jeanette, Sarah, Amy, Stephen, and Del. I'd like to thank them, all of you, and all of the other supporters of the Juicebox Podcast. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, GVOKE Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. The podcast is also sponsored by Touched by Type 1. Learn more about them on their Facebook page, on Instagram, or at touchedbytype1.org.
1: My name is Kelsey. I'm a type 1 diabetic, 28 years old. I was diagnosed when I was 10 years old, so I've had diabetes for a little over 18 years now. Um, Through that experience, I actually had a pretty bad event in my mid-20s where I almost died from a significant low that I could not get back up, and that has caused me to have... Like very severe anxiety about going low, which of course in turn has made my blood sugars high. Um, so I was able to seek out counseling and discover the reason of why my anxiety had become increasingly bad, and how I was able to get my bloods back under control.
0: Gotcha. Hey, are you fidgeting? Are you uh, clicking? So
1: yeah. Sorry, I was just bullsing.
0: No. Oh, oh, is that what it was? <laughs> That's fine. We're all, we're always okay. Sorry, with my
1: buns are very loud. <laughs>
0: It's okay, no, but sometimes people get nervous and they, they tap their fingers in between words, they don't realize it or anything, but that's just different. So, you were literally telling us about your life with diabetes while giving yourself uh, insulin. That's yes. excellent. Are you is your blood sugar higher than you want it to be right now, or are you did you just eat? Or?
1: Yeah, yeah, it is higher than I want it to be right now. Um, I did a pre bolus and it didn't do what I wanted it to do, so. Oh. I just took another little bolus to see if I can get my numbers to go back down. Cause I'm an arrow up right now at 210. Gotcha. So. All
0: right. So let's figure this out. Uh, first of all, just background, how long have you been listening to the podcast?
1: So I've been listening to the podcast, um, really actually, since I started going to therapy for it, it was one of my uh, counselor's advices to t- try and reach out to the diabetic community because I was feeling very, um, alone Mm -hmm. in my problems that I was having and so I found your podcast and it has just helped me so much just to be able to hear other people's stories um the issues that they had it gave me so much more confidence going forward like okay yeah I can I can handle this
0: it's excellent okay yeah I just wanted a little context for if you have been listening for a while or anything like that Mm -hmm. so uh I guess I want to start with when you were diagnosed how old were you again
1: I was 10 10
0: 10, 18 years ago, 2003-ish? Yeah, right uh, around there. It's just right, that's fine. And so technology existed. Uh, Was it Mm -hmm. something that your parents said, hey, wow, you have diabetes now, good luck with that? Or were they real involved? What was that dynamic My parents
1: were amazing. They were incredibly involved. Um, My dad is a firefighter, he's retired now. But so he already had a pretty good grasp on what type one diabetes was. And they were so in tune with me. Um, I remember my mom not leaving my my bedside. Like when they're like, "If you can go home now," she's like, "Nope, I am going to be here. I'm going to watch what you do. Like I need to know everything." Um, and so growing up, they were constantly, you know, I've heard you talk about art and having to check her blood in the middle of the night. Um, parents did that for me, and then I was able to get a pump, and from there, my parents wanted me to learn how to be more independent and not have to rely on them so much.
0: Yeah. That's kind of a classic story for that time period, really. Mm -hmm. Like the idea of like, oh, you have a pump now, now you do it. And the idea of just like, but you didn't have a glucose monitor, like a a continuous glucose monitor.
1: No, 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 no. no. Do you now? Yes, I do. I have um, the Dexcom and I also have the CGM that matches with my insulin pump.
0: I gotcha. Okay, so... It's just that it's interesting that the rest of it gets, I guess, um, the curtain pulled back on it as the CGM comes. Like, I can see how the conversation prior to CGM would be, all right, now, you know, you know how to use the insulin, you know how to count your carbs, you know when to put Mm -hmm. in your – in go ahead and go do it for yourself. And then what did you do? You waited a few hours and tested again or not even –
1: yeah, no, so that was my, um, my go-to I test before. I'd almost sometimes test an hour and then like another hour. Um, I was, my endo told me that I was testing more frequently than most people would. <laughs> um, cause I wanted to be in, in such control at that time, even when I was 13 and 14.
0: So you would, so I I used to do this as well. So I would test Arden before a meal. And then I like to know like 45 minutes in where she was and like an hour and a half. Like I had these times where I wanted to know what her blood sugar was. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I would always look before the, the glucose monitors. I always thought of it as I knew something was going on behind the scenes that I just like, I knew there was a lot more information than was available to me. And I was trying to figure it out. But the truth is to try to grab it like one snapshot at a time without any real perspective. Like I didn't know how to use insulin back then or anything like that. It was just – it was maddening. I'd be like, oh, now it's high. Now it's low. <laughs> now, you know, like it just
1: – Right. Yeah.
0: And it was always yeah. just wait till she felt low and then do something about it afterwards. That's a, a young a young age for you to be doing that at for certain. But you were okay with that. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I was okay with it. I just – I had accepted it. Um, like I said, my parents were amazing, and they're like, "Yep, it's just it's what you have to do going forward." Yeah. Um. And so that's what I did. I was very active, playing sports. You know, um, I remember having little glucose tab baby socks pinned to the inside of my soccer shorts in case I went low when I was running on the field. Um. And that's just how it was. I just learned to to take care of myself um, and not have to rely on my parents so much since I was such an active kid.
0: This is normally not something I would stop the conversation for, but I heard what you said. I wonder if everybody else heard it. You had baby's socks safety pinned inside of your shorts and inside of the baby's (laughs) socks were glucose tablets.
1: Yeah, that's what my endo suggested because I would I would go low constantly during my soccer matches and I'd have to run off the field, go grab some juice, run back on. And it was kind of of a hassle. And so one of my endos was like, well, this is what other people have done. You just safety pin a little baby sock on the inside of your shorts and filled up with glucose tablets and just pop them as you go.
0: Do you ever hear the Major League Baseball player Sam Fold on here? And he said that if you see me in the outfield and I'm chewing gum, I felt low. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, no, I haven't heard that. Yeah, I
0: thought that was it. It was really uh, interesting to me when he said that. He's just like, yeah, if huh. you see me chewing gum, I'm low. And if I have seeds in my mouth, I'm probably not. And I was like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, lots of little tricks around that. So you feel low, you'd reach into your baby sock and grab a, a thing and keep playing. Yep, exactly. <laughs> it's excellent. And of course, uh, baby socks, strong contender for the name of your episode. So, um, <laughs> But we're early on. Things could change, Kelsey. They really could. Mm-hmm. Now- how many years do you go on like this before you have what I you, you described in your email to me as a trauma? Yeah. How long was, um, was that okay? Was everything okay?
1: Everything was good, honestly, probably. I think I experienced that trauma when I was 24. Okay. So it went on for, what, 12 years? Um, 12, 13 years being totally fine. Um, and then, yeah, and then I had that trauma, and that kind of flipped everything around for me
0: gotcha so that's only about six years ago you're I mean you're out of college at that point or just
1: I'm still in college I'm actually still in college right now I'm getting my master's for ah, counseling sorry. <laughs> I was
0: like you should take more than one class a semester <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. no no I understand so you're taking a longer you're taking a longer course so you were still in college when this happened were you at college mm-hmm. when this occurred
1: no I was actually at work when this occurred. Um. And then it, it led throughout the night and into the next morning.
0: Hmm. Can you tell me, does it bother you to talk about, can you tell me about it?
1: Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine talking about it now. Okay. Um, but basically what had happened was at that time I was actually on shots. Um, and so what essentially my endo thought had happened was I was exercising a lot and then I took a larger dose of the overnight insulin and so the next day my blood I I could not get it to stay up for the life of me. Mm-hmm. Um I think I had over 500 carbs by like noon. And I just could not get it to stick up and then by the time I went to bed I had I couldn't sleep and I had a very bad low where I thought like oh my gosh that I'm not going to be able to even dial 911 right now. Um And I was living alone at the time. So that was scary for me as well. But luckily I forgot I had um, a juice box in my side drawer that I was able to break open and feed myself before I had passed out. Mm. Um, And so after that point, the low still continued, but I was able to kind of regain, I don't want to say regain consciousness, but um, get a good grasp again. And continue to feed myself until I was normal the next day. And the Lantus had officially worn off. Um, but what had happened really where my brain went at that point was I had, um, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm living alone. Nobody, nobody knew I was having the slow. What would have happened to me if I, I passed out? I, that would have been it. Yeah. Um, and so it led me into that, that anxiety, it kind of started to develop every time I would start to go low, I would start to feel that almost PTSD in a way, um, mm-hmm. as my counselor described, it was a very, very small amount of PTSD. And I just freaked out. And I wanted my bloods to be high, because that was like my safety zone,
0: right? So just so I can try to pick it apart a little bit to understand, do you think that you mistakenly gave yourself much more Lantus than you meant to?
1: You know what? Honestly, they still don't know. Wow. Um, I gave myself my normal dosage and I did my normal things that day. And that's why I was so scared going forward yeah, yeah. because I was like, this was my normal routine. You know, of course diabetes never is the same. right? Um, and so I told my endo. she's like, honestly, sometimes you know, you could have eaten something two days before or you could have exercised really, really hard two days before and it's still with you and you don't realize it. Um, so not really having a direct answer of like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I took 50 instead of 25 right. um, was part of that anxiety because I had done everything normal.
0: No, it, it seems like if you can't if you can't narrow down what happened and it feels like it was random, then it could feel like it could be random and it ever again just anytime you could pop Mm -hmm, up again had this ever happened prior or since
1: no it hasn't happened prior since um i got back on the pump and so that has significantly helped me um because i it's just you know the continuous background insulin i'm not taking one single large dose at night right um so that's helped a lot but since then no i haven't had any event like that
0: so after this hap not after this happens after you give yourself Mm -hmm. that insulin and the It's you spend the day just constantly low and you can't feed the insulin enough to get to get up over a certain Mm -hmm. number. Where where was where was your blood sugar sitting?
1: I probably remained I fluctuated between 70 and 50, I would say. Okay. Um I would, you know, go down to 50, eat, 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 and then it would bump, you know, start to go back up to like 70, 75, and I was like, okay, I'm coming up. And then I would check again, not even 30 minutes later and back, back to down 50. to
0: 60. Yeah. Well, wow, that's crazy. So you you just Wow, you so see, did you have the feeling while you were doing it, like this will be the time where it'll go up and stay up? Like, did you? How long did you play that oh, game? Yeah. Like, yeah, like <laughs> it feels like a horror movie to me, where where you feel like you're trapped in a room and they're like, just get this puzzle right and we won't cut your head off, <laughs> and you can leave. And you get the puzzle right, and then there's another door, and you're like, wait a minute, it, it, <laughs> I'm not getting <laughs> yeah, out no, of here. That's
1: exactly. It's like you know, okay, I I did it this time. I have this hope, and then each time it was like. That's why I feel like it was just so defeating, like, oh, my gosh, what can I do? Like, just that loss of, yeah, defeated.
0: Right. Yeah. I just the the idea of like, I got it. No, I don't. I got it. No, I don't. And and after Mm -hmm. I would imagine I'm imagining after hours turn into a half a day turns into a full day and then you've got to go to bed. You're probably just like, oh, my God, like this isn't going to stop. Did it ever were you ever in a position where you had the ability to contact the person to like come sit with you, but you thought, no, it'll be all right. Or did you not live in that situation?
1: Um, So being 20, what I have 23 at that time and being moved out, I didn't want to worry my parents that I was having this problem. Yeah. So I, I didn't contact them and looking back, I, I absolutely should have, but I didn't want to worry them sure. and think like, Oh my gosh, she, she can't live on her own. Look at what's happening. Um, yeah, it feels so like it I would just, have
0: bigger ramifications if you if you mm-hmm. if you said. And I'm not judging you. I'm just interested in oh, like no. the thought process that goes through the whole day. Um, yeah,
1: so that was it. It was just I don't want to worry my parents. I want to prove to them that I can live by myself with type one diabetes and not have any real consequences. Right. But there um,
0: was no way to know that after this experience, you were going to suffer. Um, like the PTSD of the situation that it was going to come. Like Mm -hmm. you just thought you were getting through a moment. It sucked and it would be over eventually. And -hmm. even though the physical part was over, you got visited by a different aspect of it that obviously you didn't expect. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, exactly.
0: Hey, Kelsey, that sucks. Um, (laughs) Really sucks. So how long do you, I'm assuming then you start leaving your blood sugars higher than you'd like. Mm -hmm. And, well, let's give that a little bit of context prior to the event. Let's call it the happening prior to the, the happening. Where was mm-hmm. your a one C and then where did you let it rise to, to feel comfortable?
1: So my a one C was I, last time I checked. I um, actually just checked the other day before coming on. It was at 6.5. Okay. Um, and then after this event happened, it went up to 10.
0: Wow. That's of- a significant impact on mm-hmm. you. Huh? No kidding. Yeah. How long did you live like that before you thought I have to, Address this. Like, uh, well, let me ask you first. Did you just imagine that the the anxiety would dissipate at some point? It just never did.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I'm, you know, once again, thinking, "Oh, I can handle this. I got this." Um, and I gave it about a year, and at some point, I just kind of gave up on myself, honestly. And I was like, you know what? It just, I'm tired. I'm burnt out on this. I don't, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And so. Not that played into it as well. Yeah. Um. And it wasn't really actually until I got together with my now fiance, who's a paramedic, and he was like, "What are you doing? <laughs> like, I treat you know ten diabetics a day. Like, if you pass out, I'm just gonna give you some glucagon. Like, you'll be good." Right. Um. And so it was once I started being with him that I was like, "Holy crap, you're right." Like, I. I need to, I need to get this under control to live a long and healthy life. And that's when I started really seeking out that counseling. And I had that desire finally to want to get myself better.
0: It's just really telling how impactful anxiety can be on, on, on the people who are afflicted by it, because you know, what's up. I mean, you've lived day after day after day after that. You haven't gotten low again like that. So, you mm-hmm. you know, if common sense was the only thing you need in this situation, you'd be like, well, it was a one-off thing. It doesn't look like it's going to happen again and I'll be fine. But that anxiety just stops you in your tracks. It's a yeah. fascinating monster. really, really is um, crippling to, mm-hmm. for the people that it decides to attack. Um Wow. 10s, A1Cs. Yeah. This guy likes you. He's not looking for you to have a 10 A1C. That's for
1: certain. (laughs) (laughs) So, So
0: you recognize, how do you recognize the steps to take next? Like how do you decide where to begin trying to break free of this?
1: So the first thing I did, um, I actually sought out counseling on my own and I just found a local psychiatrist who specialized in anxiety. Um, and so I started seeing him and he did, it's called CBT cognational behavioral therapy. And that is to try and essentially get you to readjust your brain mm-hmm. is the best way I could say it. Um, trying to like do almost exposure therapy where you were like, okay, I'm going to get down to 200 and I'm going to let it sit there. And i going to, it's going gonna, it's gonna to scare me because that's not it's outside my comfort zone. Um. And finally, after about, I would say three months of seeing him, I just, I was like, okay, this is not working. Um, Just his method wasn't working for me. So I actually reached out to my endocrinologist and was like, look, this is what's going on. This is where I'm at. I I want to get better. I'm really determined right now. What do I need to do? And so she set me up with um, a psychologist who worked for my doctor's and knew about diabetes, and she was the one who actually got me on Prozac, Um, and when she got me on Prozac, I'm like, I'm not sad, I'm not depressed, like, I'm just scared, (laughs) Um, and she goes, yes, I know, but here's the problem, is that your anxiety is starting to cripple you to the point where you're willing to have these significant possible, you know, lose a foot in the future just to stay safe in the moment, and we can't have that. Um, and so I started taking that, and that significantly helped me. Um, it helped ease your anxiety, which I had no idea that that does.
0: Mm.
1: Um, Prozac was meant for anxiety as well because it works with your brain chemicals to go okay. Like yeah, you're panicking right now, but look at this is going to help to relax you. Mm-hmm. So when I had started having you know the triple arrows down, I wasn't going into like this automatic panic mode of, oh my gosh, I need to stop this blood. I'm dropping. What's going to happen? I was just like, okay, we'll let it ride and see where it goes. right um, So that's been the pattern I've been doing. And it's, it's just has made such a huge difference.
0: That's excellent. um Listen, whatever helps is the right answer. And, <laughs> and I wonder too, so which, so the second doctor says to you, you should reach out and find like some people who have diabetes too find a community. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, she was the one because I, told her, I was like, look, I, you know, I don't, I personally know any other type one diabetics. I feel very kind of alone in this. And that's obviously not helping my fears because I don't have anybody who I can talk to who can truly relate um, to what it's like to go low other than a diabetic. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, here, reach out on Instagram, listen to podcasts, here's books. And so I started doing all those things and joining the diabetic communities through Instagram. Um, And that's actually how I found you, your podcast And I was like, oh, my gosh, like being able to listen to other people see their physically see their graphs on their CGMs of them going down to 40 with two arrows down made me go, oh, my gosh, like, it's not just me. Like, these people are scared of that, too. Yeah. And having that kind of outreach really, really has helped.
0: Right. Well, that's that's my finding is that um, the feeling of community. I've seen it pay people back over and over and over again. Um, You know, I don't need to study on it to tell me how great it works. So Mm -hmm. um, that part is absolutely fantastic. It's great even that the Prozac work, I looked it up while you're talking. It says, uh, "Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Prozac. uh, People using Prozac can see um, improvement in symptoms of anxiety one to two weeks. Could usually take between four to six to feel full benefits. That's uh, that's just that's magical. You know." Uh, cuz right. it wasn't going to let go of you i don't think um how long have you had a glucose monitor a continuous glucose monitor
1: uh let's see since i got my pump i have the medtronic 670g so um i've had that for about 3 years now well, and, maybe a little over 3
0: and how long has it been since you met the the second doctor that you talked about
1: Uh, Just two years. Two years.
0: So one year with a continuous glucose monitor didn't make a dent in this. Can I guess? Did it almost make it worse?
1: Oh, my gosh. I was going to exactly say that. That's what she said. She's like, because you're able to see your numbers doing the scary, scary drop. It makes it worse for you versus kind of being able to go an hour without knowing. Yeah. Um, and I actually, she said, I actually developed a little bit of OCD with it too, because I was continuously like every five or 10 minutes, like, okay, where is it at now? Where is it at now? And that's as soon as it updates is five or 10 minutes. Um, so she was like, you have this very interesting dynamic because a, when you go low, you feel it, but also when your anxiety kicks in it almost feels the same as going low. So you kind of are having this crazy double whammy of mentally feeling it and physically having to feel it where most people who have anxiety don't really experience that.
0: I have to tell you that when continuous glucose monitors became popular, like when they they were available in the world and people started using them, there was so much uh, talk from people who had lived with type one for a while prior to continuous glucose monitors saying how much continuous glucose monitors made them feel anxious Mm -hmm. but you don't hear those conversations nearly as much if at all from people who are born in the moment of of continuous glucose monitors who are excuse me diagnosed in the moment of them people Mm -hmm. who have them from from go don't have that like that same that same impact doesn't seem to occur as, I mean, this is anecdotally me looking at people obviously, but I think there's something about like people who are, are diagnosed now or have continuous glucose monitors might not recognize the people that lived with diabetes prior to that, like they were, they're alive and doing the way they're doing, but they didn't really know why they just, they're (laughs) following the rules, right? Like do this, count that, shoot this, eat that. And you wake up every day and you go, huh, well, that must work because here I am standing here. And then all of a sudden the glucose monitor comes up and you look and you go, wow, there's a lot of things I could be doing differently here. That's how it hits some people. Some people are then given a picture to what's going on inside of their bodies. And they're like, whoa, wait, that's been happening the whole time. Like, that's (laughs) scary. You you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. See that trend.
0: So can you tell, so I guess I want to ask a question before I ask this one. Um, You've been listening to the podcast for a little bit now. Mm -hmm. Does your blood sugar still fall drastically like that?
1: It does. um, But I don't get as freaked out. I don't suspend my insulin. I don't uh, try to correct it right away. I just let it be and let it ride. Um, Just like from listening to the podcast, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, people, you trend down, trend down, trend down, and then boom, you level out. And so I have now been doing that and trying to wait for the arrows to stop trending and start leveling.
0: Okay. So can I talk to you like about just like insulin for a minute so I can, yep. I want to orientate around some context here. So would you say that your basal rates are are really good or do they need work?
1: I would say that my basal rates are very good. And um, I still have some anxiety issues. So when I see that, there, it sounds silly, silly to say, but when they are where my levels are, where they need to be at, I'm 100 straight line. It still triggers some anxiety because I'm like, oh, my gosh, at any second, you know, I could I could start to go down because I have three units on board. Mm-hmm. And so it's a little more I don't know how to say it, complicated um, for me to still be able to see. Like, I know my basal rates are where they're at because I am where I at where I need to be, but yet in that back of your mind, that anxiety is like, oh my gosh, but what if? But what if? Yeah. And so it's kind of a still kind of a funky battle.
0: What about overnight? Where do you sit stable overnight at?
1: Yep. Overnight my line is perfectly straight.
0: <laughs> at what number? I still around that hundred?
1: No, I overnight I'm still riding around 150 to 170 um because that's still kind of my safety net. Sure. Because yeah with the just with the anxiety of it being asleep and not being able to see exactly what is happening all the time. Like I can, when I'm awake, right. Um, it's still a jump I need to overcome. Yeah.
0: And please keep in mind, I'm not trying to talk you out of anything. I'm trying to figure out structurally. Why are you, why is your blood sugar falling during the day? So, mm-hmm. so, it, so, in, you know, the way I think of it is if you're higher overnight like that, then when you come into the day and you hit that, you know, feet on the floor, like life anxiety thing, and your blood sugar wants to start going up. Now you're going to be bolusing more aggressively at numbers and leaving the, the, the meal insulin or the corrected insulin, whichever it is you're doing, or maybe both um, mm-hmm. at, a, at a position where at some point it's going to become counterbalanced or out of balance with the number. The, or the carbs or the need. So you start at a higher number, it makes you bolus more for food. Eventually, the food leaves your system, the insulin remains behind, and then you come crashing down. And as I, I realized that this is a specific scenario when we're talking about anxiety. So, but if you came, if you and I were having this conversation and it was just about management and there was no anxiety in it, mm-hmm. what I would say is that if you could keep your blood sugar stable and lower overnight, and even a little lower during the day, then you wouldn't be making up for your basal deficit with bolus insulin. And the likelihood of having a low after a meal would be significantly less because you'd be using far less meal insulin. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. No, that's totally make. That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, I actually honestly haven't thought about it like that because I'm so used to you know, for the past three years, just when I get high, just continuously taking, um, little micro doses.
0: Yep. So you yeah. end up stacking insulin up because of that,
1: mm-hmm. which is
0: weird. Cause I don't usually say stacking. Cause what I'll tell you is if your settings are right and you need insulin, like I say, if it's, it's not stacking, if you need it, but mm-hmm. you can't, you can't stack to make up for a basal deficit. So one of the most interesting things that happens, Kelsey, when I'm talking to people, and they're just like, look at my graph. I don't know what to do. Um, I have this peak here and this peak here. And the peaks are always, you know, after meals. And then I get really low. And the the really low is always like two and a half, three hours after meals. And, you know, and when I'm, you know, and I look when they're away from food completely, their blood sugars are super stable around 140 or 150. And then I'll look at that and I'll say, well, your basils, I think your basal needs to be higher. Um, because first of all, when you're super stable away from food or Or bolus insulin, you know, if your basal was where it needed to be perfectly, your blood sugar would be super stable, but it would be super stable at 85, not at 150. So there's what, 65 points higher that you can eat out of your blood sugar with basal insulin. And that ends up being a lot of insulin. And so now you're counting carbs later. You know, your blood sugars are stable at 150. um, You're counting carbs later. And you're like, well, this is 30 carbs. That's three units or whatever your ratio is, and you put it in. But you're you have a deficit of basil every hour. It could be a half a unit, depends on your size, right? It could be any amount, but whatever amount it is that you've been missing all night long and all day long, like think about it. If you, it was in there, it would be in there, but it's not. So you're just sort of bolusing. But your bolus is just going towards the basal instead of going towards the carbs. Right? And then you keep, yeah. you keep, then you keep bol now you're bolusing the number, the number, the number, the number. And then eventually the food digests out of your system, stops impacting your blood sugar, and then whew, straight down. g Hypo Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes, ages 2 and above. Not only is GVOC Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to gvocglucagon.com forward slash Juicebox. box. G-Voke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit gvocglucagon.com slash risk. Do yourself a favor, visit touchedbytype1.org today to see really wonderful things being done for people with type 1 diabetes. Touchedbytype1.org. You can also find them on Instagram and Facebook. The ads were pretty quick here, so let me add in, add in to the ads, I didn't mean to say that. Let me add to the, oh Jesus, I'm lost in the weeds now. Anyway, I just want to remind you that the Diabetes Pro Tip episodes are available in your podcast player beginning at episode 210, or you can find them at juiceboxpodcast.com or diabetesprotip.com.
1: Right.
0: Have I described your life?
1: Yeah, pretty. To um, yeah, that's exactly what I've been doing. Huh, I'll have to try I'll have to try increasing my basal rate then and so see if that makes a big difference. If you difference.
0: increase your basil and get yourself where you're super stable, and I'm saying whatever number you're comfortable with, obviously. But the right. lower you go with that comfortable number, the less insulin you're gonna need at meals and the less insulin you're gonna need for corrections. And then you can start you know, you can start setting your alarms on your on your CGM to actually help you so like you know you set it at 130 and as you drift above 130 and I say this a lot but the amount of insulin it would take you to bring a a 130 diagonal up back to 90 is a pretty small amount of insulin but Mm -hmm. uh, the amount of insulin that would take you to bring a 250 back down is a lot and again it's going to get um, out of balance with the with the insulin need at some point and then you find the low so it seems counterintuitive but those people who show me the peak and then the low and then the peak and the low, they're like, oh, it peaks up after I eat and then it gets low. And then I eat something and it jumps back up again. This keeps happening. And then you say to them, well, I think if you turn up your basal, this might not happen. Here are the reasons why. A lot of people hear, but no, I get low a lot. More insulin's not the not the answer. And what I'm saying is it may actually end up being less insulin. You're just shifting where it is in the job it's doing.
1: Yeah, which totally makes sense because I know that with one of the things with the anxiety is that having a large amount of insulin on board because you know when you have that large amount that you're more likely to go low. Yeah. So that absolutely makes sense to raise your basal to only have to do those little micro boluses to get you to where you need to be.
0: Yeah, definitely helpful. Can I? I'm sorry. I know. No, you didn't think this was going to happen. But what are your um <laughs> what are your basal rates at? Oh, my
1: goodness. Um, Hold on. Let me pull out my pump here. (laughs) And and
0: then get ready for the part where I ask you how much you weigh. Sorry about that, too. (sighs) Uh, And do you have like one singular rate or do you have a bunch of different rates?
1: I have a bunch of different rates. I was going to
0: guess that. Yep. I have a
1: bunch of different rates. Okay. So let's see here. Edit. OK, so from midnight to 330 my it's at 1.1 mm-hmm. um, 330 a.m. to 8 a.m 0.825, <laughs> 8 a.m to 12, 1.2, 12 to 3, 0.95, 3 to 7 pm, 0.375, and then 7 to midnight one unit.
0: Wow. So you're basically, you've set up a bunch of different basal programs trying to outsmart problems that you have. Is that about right? Yeah, that's pretty much right. Especially
1: with the weird hours I work. Um, I I work 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. And so I set that because I know in the morning time, um, I'm not going to be eating for three hours. So I know that my blood's naturally going to drop during that time.
0: Do you work in a hospital?
1: No, I actually,
0: um, I actually work in a jail. Oh, that's more fun. <laughs> okay, um, oh, that's a much that's a much uh, more different answer than I expected. So, I'm not saying that there aren't times a day when your basal needs need to change drastically when you're on your pu- when you're on a pump. Arden uses uh, frequently uh, less insulin overnight for basal than during the day, but it's not that significant. So, like mm-hmm. twelve to three point nine five going into three to seven point three seven five. That to me sounds like you're like incredibly active at work and not eating at a certain time. Is that about my guess, right? Yeah, that's
1: right. So during that time frame, I've noticed that is when my bloods will just crash because it's after eating and I'm not going to eat again until seven. Right. Um, And yeah, running around at work, it just drops during that time period. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I'll bleep this out if you want me to, but how much do you weigh?
1: So right now, yeah, bleep it out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm at one.
0: Right now. Okay, all right. So I would say if your blood sugars are consistently overnight in the one hundred fifty range, and consistently during the day at the one hundred range, when you're not when you're not using insulin at the moment, and there's no active food or insulin in you, mm-hmm. then I think there's a lot of space in your basal. Like there really is. So I and I'll I'll bleep this out too, and I'm sorry for the people listening. I'll I'll have to I'll give you some generic answer later, but we're talking to Kelsey and protecting the parts of her life. She wants to keep to herself. <laughs> I, I would say that I frequently when I start guessing about people's basal rates, I usually guess 0.1 per ten pounds. Now, okay. that's it. There's nothing mathematical about that. And there's nothing mm-hmm. there's nothing medical about that. It's just something I've noticed. And some people don't fall into it all. But like a kid that weighs like 35 pounds, sometimes they're like 0.25, 0.3 in that space. You know, somebody's 100 pounds, they're around a unit, like that kind of thing. Like, don't get me wrong, a 100 pound person might only need 0.8, they might need 1.2. They also. There And there's always outliers who, you know, you see people's graphs, they're absolutely amazing and their basals like half unit an hour and they weigh 120 pounds and I'm just like, that falls outside of my thing. But what I'm saying is, if you just tried to bring everything up a little bit, I wonder what would happen. And I would start on a day when you're not at work, like a day off from work and just, I don't know, like 10% of the time, just move it up and see what happens. Um, You know,
1: I'm going to do
0: that. Yeah. Because if you could create, because I'm listening to what you're saying about the anxiety, Mm -hmm. right? You're, you're afraid of falling quickly and that fear is precipitated by having a lot of insulin on board because insulin on board feels like falling. I'm going to tell you that if you're, there's a wolf in your house. Um, (laughs) I'm going to tell you that if your basil is rock solid and you do a good job of counting your carbs, and your ratio is pretty close, right? And I'd say you need to understand the difference between carb impacts, meaning that um, you know white rice or baked potato is going to impact you differently than maybe mm-hmm. you know I don't know watermelon or grapes or something like that. If you yeah. can keep that stuff straight in your head, I've and I don't want to, I definitely don't want to flip you out. But my daughter's <laughs> eating Chinese food right now. Her insulin on board is like 18 units or something like that.
1: Oh, my goodness. That would (laughs) freak me out so bad.
0: (laughs) But her blood sugar is also not going to get high and it isn't going to get low later because these 18 units are active while the food is also trying to impact her. And so that becomes the last bit of it is that you have to understand where the insulin – you have to understand how to get the insulin working while the carbs are working. So if you've never heard the pre, there's a defining diabetes. No, no, no. Wait a minute. I don't know my own podcast. Uh, <laughs> diabetes pro tip: prebolus. That episode mm-hmm. talks about how to line up the insulin, the you know the impact of the carbs with the action of the insulin, and keep them sort of working at the same time, so that they're working against each other. And then as the food digests, the insulin wears off, and then there's no high or low afterwards. It's okay. not that it's listen, it isn't like, don't get me wrong, like you're not going to like get off the the thing and be like, oh, I got it. But it's <laughs> but that's to me the information that gets you to a place where you won't see a bunch of falling and you won't have a, a, to be putting in a bunch of extra insulin all the time. And then hopefully one day you can roll out for a pizza and not feel weird about it.
1: Yeah, that's I'll definitely have to listen to that episode and try. I'm definitely going to try that going forward, because like you said, eating how <laughs> Arden's eating Chinese food right now. I I am very limited in my diet because I don't want to eat higher carb things because I know that that's going to mean I have to take more, more insulin.
0: insulin. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, for most for, for people who have not had the problem you've had, you know, the, the, the trauma that you've had, it's still mm-hmm. a and for me as well, like it's still a great leap to get over. You, you know, like, I'll never forget when Arden was growing and the first time you're just like, you know, I mean, you just got to remember, like, I remember setting basal rates like point two five an hour. You know, when I got to a unit, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> <laughs> it, it felt insane, you know. But right. now now there are times around her period where I'm like jacking her basal up to like three units an hour.
1: Oh, yeah. The f- hormones behind it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot to try and remember and take in
0: it certainly is i mean listen there's there's just no doubt but i also hear in your voice that you're you really do want to find the other side of this it sounds like to me
1: oh yeah absolutely yeah
0: no it just it didn't seem like i'm scared and i'm okay staying here like it it seems Mm -hmm. to me like you're like okay that's enough of this i gotta i gotta move forward plus i take advantage of this time you're dating this paramedic so. Right. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, especially with, you know, weddings coming up and we want to have kids, like my numbers have to be prime. So I'm not so scared anymore as much as determined I'm trying to be with it.
0: Good for you. Yeah. No, I mean, can you imagine if trying to have a baby and having this still like afflicting you, you know, like the, the I can't do it. I can't bring, I can't give myself more because. There are parts of pregnancy. I've had a number of pregnant women on the show. There are parts of pregnancy where your your insulin needs just skyrocket. Oh and yeah.
1: I've listened to those episodes <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, you have to literally double your insulin. So yeah, knowing that going forward, I, I I know this is something that I really need to to conquer and get a lot more control of.
0: Yeah. It's really admirable the what you're doing. I know it's it probably to you feels like you're lost in this like slog trying to figure this whole thing out. But you, I mean, I hope you know how many people are listening who are in the exact same situation you're in and have not found a way to to even try to address it. It's very common what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. And that's part of the reason why I reached out to you because i um, listening through your stuff. I noticed that there wasn't too, too many expressions of people who have anxiety and have had to get counseling and like me have had to get on Prozac or what, whatever you need to do Mm. um, because there's some shame behind it. Like when I first started, I was, I was a little bit shameful of myself because I knew I wasn't doing good and it's kind of getting over that, that hurdle and being like, you know what? I, you're right. I'm not alone. And I want to be able to make myself better so I can make my life better for everyone else who's in it.
0: Is overcoming that shame like one of the first steps?
1: I would say so. Um, for me, originally, when I was having this problem, um, and people asked me how my diabetes was going, I would sometimes I would just break down and be like, as soon as I started talking about my diabetes, I would just start crying because I was like, Oh, my gosh, like, <laughs> I don't have anybody else to share this with. Like, this is, you know, it's so scary. I know I'm doing bad. And um, so I think once you kind of start for me, it was admitting step A was admitting like, yeah, I I have a problem. Um, and then seeking the help to try and fix that problem helps you to overcome that shame, or at least it did for me um, to help overcome it by just simply admitting it and having people be like, okay, you know, like, we're not mad at you. We're not like, oh, how dare you have high numbers. Everybody has been so helpful in you know open arms about like yeah let let me know what you need. Yeah. Um and I think that was a really big important step.
0: Does the shame feel like something you end up putting on yourself? Like you think it's going to come from disapproval, but it's the fear of disapproval? I don't like do you do you understand yeah. the mechanism of that?
1: Yeah, so for for me personally, um my shame was within myself because I knew how good I had been doing previously, of course. And then now to go to my endo and have her, she literally, the first time I went in, um, she gasped, she goes, Oh my gosh, what happened? And I know that a lot of people have that fear of going into the, your endo because it's like, Oh my gosh, this is it. Like you're on trial yeah. um, to see how good or bad you're doing. And so a lot of it was put on me. Um, and cause I wanted people to be proud of me and my numbers. Um, because again, in my very small town I live and I'm like one, the only diabetic. So when people ask me how you're doing, I want to be like, I'm great. And not be like, Oh gosh, it's so bad.
0: <laughs> As the person who's uh, standing up for all of us at this longitude and latitude, let me just say, <laughs> I'm doing terrific because I'm, you, you felt like you were the, the correspondent for diabetes for your, for your area. Yeah. <laughs> That sucks. I mean the whole Pretty thing much. is like because I I'm trying to imagine you have this episode, you know, this terrible low and this traumatic thing, and you go back to your doctor next time your A1C is higher. Like, what if she would have just said, or he would have just said, Hey, wow, this is really out of character and said this in her head. You know, this mm-hmm. is really our character. Something must be up. Let me find out what's going on. Let you tell the story of the the low day and the impact it's had on you and help you out of it. And then you don't get stuck for the last six years in this bull." You mm-hmm. know, it, it, it maybe or maybe not. Maybe maybe your brain's wired in a way where like any trauma would have would have been something that stuck with you. I don't know. Like, do you think if you ever had a car accident, you'd be afraid to drive or I guess there's no way uh, to know, right? No,
1: I mean, I guess there's no way to really truly know that if you yeah. haven't been in a car accident. Right. Um I think that I, you know, I've been in a fender bender, right? I was basically a little cautious after that but now i'm like eh, okay you know yeah, it's, you're back I, to i it. continue my life yeah i'm back to normal right um and so i think that if people if my endo maybe had not reacted so strongly it wouldn't have instantly put that that oh my gosh okay i need to not tell her anything yeah you yeah. know how it's really been
0: you do live in a small town i just heard the, the steam engine go by it's probably going to make a <laughs> pickup at the bank and then take cattle into kansas right yeah pretty yeah. much <laughs> <laughs> seriously it felt like it was in a western for a second i was like yeah, i sorry a- the
1: train i can't help the training no
0: oh no no, no. I, I it's been one of my favorite things that's happened so far that i don't worry about it i was like this is great I, i'm <laughs> waiting for four guys with masks to uh to ride out of the dust. Now, would they be wearing masks because of COVID or because they were going to rob the train? I have no way to know.
1: I mean, probably both.
0: That's yeah, could it be? You, I, don't you keep, I hate to be the one to say this out loud, but don't you keep waiting for there to be a ton of bank robberies because we're all wearing masks? Like, like am I the <laughs> yes. only one who's been like sitting around going, When are all the bank robberies going to happen? Oh my
1: gosh, yes. Especially when <laughs> someone walks in with sunglasses, you're like, oh no, is this it?
0: <laughs> I, just, I just keep thinking like some industrious robber is going to be like, huh? You know, but I guess not. I I guess there's more to robbing a bank than wearing a mask. I don't know. Yeah, I've never yeah, I've never yeah. looked into it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, I just I'm I, there's an 11 year old inside of me that just keeps waiting for there to be nine million bank robberies. <laughs> <laughs> it's the silliest thing I've ever thought as an adult, but it really does happen in my no, head. No, <laughs> so true, so true. When's it gonna happen? Um, well, so listen, I think it's interesting because I never know. Like, so you're listening to the show more for community not as much for management so i'm going to say this to you if i'm you i go to episode 210 it's called uh diabetes pro tip newly diagnosed or starting over and it's the beginning of the diabetes pro tip episodes and they're very management rich and not Mm -hmm. they're not boring I, i don't think it's me and my friend jenny smith who's a cd she's had diabetes for like 32 years now and mm-hmm. she she was really nice enough. This is going back a couple of years now. I said to Jenny, I have these tenants. Like I, I realize I'm saying these same things over and over again in the podcast. And I'd like to drill down deeper on specific ones that I think lead to stable management, right? And so she was nice enough to come on and have these conversations with me. And I'll tell you that the feedback I get about them is stunning to me. Like, I can't believe that people find them as helpful as they do. I I meant for them to be helpful. I -hmm. thought they were, but I can't believe the feedback. So if you have, you know, 20 hours to listen through a handful of episodes, I I would think that the things we kind of chatted about today loosely would come into focus for you. And I would love to see you not be – I would love to see everyone not feel that anxiety because, Mm -hmm. I mean – again, being the, the parent of someone with diabetes, it does give you this, the, this passionate feeling where like, you're like, well, if I make someone low, it's not making me low and I'll still be here to fix it if it happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, there's oh, a, yeah,
1: no, I, I 1000% get it because that's, that's how my fiance is. You know, he's like, as soon as I got the Dexcom, he's like, share that with me. Like, yeah, I, uh, you know, cause he knew I, he knows I have this fear. He's like, I, if he works nights or whatever, that actually really helped when I got it because I was like, okay, I'm sharing this with somebody else. So if I go low, it's not going to be just me home alone. I'm going to be able to alert somebody that like, Hey, something's going on.
0: This, you know, I've never done this before. And as I'm saying it, I don't know why I've never done it before, but would you be willing while we're talking right now, would you take a screen grab of your 24 hour Dexcom graph and text it to me real quick?
1: Yeah. Hold on. Let me grab my phone. Thanks. I'm going to tell you it's not pretty,
0: but. No, no, cool. it doesn't matter. It, it, it is just, what it is. It just needs to be what it is so I can see it.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, okay. You know how to turn it sideways and choose 24 hours? Yep. yep.
1: Okay. Um, there
0: we go. And I'll definitely remember to bleep out your weight now because I'm going to have to bleep out my cell phone number too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, you, if it's important to keep my weight, and there
1: you totally can. No, you said not what you said. Thing, I, s- <laughs> I stick with
0: what you said. Don't worry.
1: All right. Okay. Go ahead with your number.
0: Six. I should bleep out the bleeps with curses, but I really
1: <laughs> will Okay, there you go. It's on right. its way. Well, I got
0: it. All right. Yeah. You don't have enough basil. Okay. Most days like this? Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah, it's that, that roller coaster of high, and then, like, as you can see, super high overnight, because, again, um, with that anxiety of not being able to sleep. It's,
0: no, no, it's just something
1: I really need to like.
0: Don't you don't apologize. This is very, very fixable. <laughs> Tell me what the low line is set at. The, where's the low alarm at?
1: Uh, low alarms at 70. 70.
0: Where's the high one at?
1: 180?
0: 180. One, one seventy. Is,
1: is that
0: right? 170? Yeah. All right. Yeah. You could easily you could easily be doing. 1.3 units an hour for basil. You think? That's where I'd start. And okay. as crazy as it sounds, I'd write down all your settings, right? Mm-hmm. So you have them. And I would yeah. just go to a 24 hour basil rate. That's how I would start. Okay. So I would, uh, I'd start, I'd start, hmm, how would I start? What's your overnight? 1.1 overnight and three mm-hmm. eighth, is 0.95 of them. Okay, so we gotta enlist the boyfriend. We got to do we got to do it on a Friday night, right? And you just six p.m. on a Friday night that you're not working. You go to listen. Let's try. We'll try one point three, right? One point three. Okay. And if it's one point two, it's one point two. If it's one point four, it's one point four. Whatever. And you just you want to get down low and stable, like meaning get to wherever level is for that basal rate. Get to stable, mm-hmm. and then just let it roll for a while and see what happens so let's say it gets you to 110 and you're you know it's six o'clock because if you change it at 6 p.m it's not really going to start taking effect till 7 p.m maybe by 9 or so you'll see about what what's up right now right. at 10 11 if you start drifting lower fair enough right like if you if you get lower than you mean to then take mm-hmm. a little bit of the basil away make it you know 1.2 instead until you come stay stable where you want to be. But just keep in mind, you are going to go stable somewhere. And at 1.3, at, from what I'm seeing from this, I'm guessing you'll be stable around 100 maybe. And then if you don't have any active insulin in you overnight, okay, so you don't make a big bolus at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not a doctor. And you certainly shouldn't listen to me because my wife says I'm an idiot. Okay, <laughs> but you're not going to have a drop if your basal rate is where it belongs overnight. You shouldn't see a significant drop. And if you do, like if at one o'clock you start drifting down and you get to you know ninety and you're not comfortable with that, well then maybe maybe from six p.m. till midnight, then it's one point three, and at midnight it's one point one. Like I don't know, but right, like, no,
1: definitely that's I'm definitely going to do that, and, and I'm. See. Can,
0: Please, so that you know, he'll uh, say, "I'm making up numbers right now." Like, oh no, I know, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> you have to, you have to figure the numbers out for yourself. But this, this graph can handle a lot more basal throughout the day, and when it, and when you have it, because I see your, I see your meals, like you're shooting up immediately, and staying up after a meal, which is an indication that you're not using enough insulin for the meal, and your basal is is low. To me and the, uh, and I'm getting that from the angle of the pitch that your blood sugar goes up at after you eat so and I can even see here you make corrections that mm-hmm. are pretty aggressive and it takes them a couple of hours just to get back to 200 and then it just bounces again so yeah, yeah so th- yeah. it's you so in order get your basil right figure out your pre-bolus time what's a fair amount of pre-bolus time for you mm-hmm Learn the glycemic load and glycemic index of foods, meaning that 10 carbs of a potato might need, like say you were 10 units, well, let's say you were one unit per 10 carbs, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you were one unit for 10 carbs and 10 carbs of potatoes might need a unit and a half where 10 carbs of you know, strawberries might just use the unit. So, so meaning you're going to have to learn that there are some foods that punch above their weight. They need more insulin than your ratio indicates, just as there are some foods that need less insulin than your in, your ratio yeah, would it. indicate. So then you got your basal right, you understand pre-bolusing, meaning you want to get the timing of the insulin, you know, lined up with the impact of the food mm-hmm. and then, you know, have a reasonable understanding of what foods need what kind of like strength. And from there, the rest is stay flexible, which might in it's possible might be the hardest part for you. In the oh. beginning, and meaning that yeah. you know, you know, if you if it tries to get higher, you might have to correct it. If it tries to get lower, you might have to bump it back. And I swear, and try those pro tip episodes. If you're okay. not living a different life in a month, I'd be surprised.
1: All right, I'll definitely do that. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to do that going forward. Actually,
0: cool, Kelsey. Yeah. I'm telling you now. Now you've interested me. Now I want to stay involved. If you want me to stay involved, <laughs> I want to hear how things are going after you try this. And there's no pressure. Whenever you do it, yeah. you do it. But I would. I would love to know. Your graph looks a lot like a newly diagnosed kid's graph. Yeah, and,
1: it's a hot mess. <laughs> no,
0: no, 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 no. Listen. It, it, all right. You know what? Why am I disagreeing with you? You're an adult. It's a bit of a mess. It's a bit of a mess. But at the yeah, same time, I know. I know. but at the same time, the, the fix isn't difficult. It's just. It's basil, then pre bolus, then understanding foods. And if you do those three things, listen, you're back to your six five. I mean, you do those things, you're back to your six five pretty quickly, but that's not the important mm-hmm. part. The numbers aren't what we're talking about. What's right. important for you is is com- com- being comfortable.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Being, being able to be at 90 continuously and not being like, oh my gosh, I'm 20 p- points away from being at 70. Oh my goodness. Yeah.
0: I, I don't know if this makes you feel any better. <laughs> Or this will just be worse. But the way it makes me comfortable to think about it is this, is that I don't have type 1 diabetes and for most of the day, my blood sugar is 85. Mm-hmm. That um, there's a large group of people who don't have type 1, who they've thrown glucose monitors on, who will experience blood sugars of 60 for sometimes hours at a time during the day. And oh, really? Yeah. And that oh. you're not going to... I know this is like... I don't usually say this out loud, but your blood sugar's got to be pretty low for you to have an actual seizure. And if you're going to be with your man and trying this thing, you know, I don't. You know, it's going to be different for you in the beginning because you're. I think your body's going to be accustomed to higher blood sugars, so you might have to do this in segments because you might get to 150 or 140 stable and feel low for a while. I don't. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, that's so funny you say that. That's mm-hmm. exactly what my uh, my endo and my the and my psychiatrist said. She's like, "You will feel low because you're so used to running so high."
0: Yeah, and that's your body actually trying to. You, you ever ever hear somebody talk about the idea of like your body is trying its hardest not to die? Mm-hmm. So when you start doing something that's killing it, like having blood sugars high like this, it tries to adapt to it. It tries to live with that longer, and so. There's it's something about the the way your blood vessels are, I don't know. Again, not a doctor. Something about how your blood vessels are helping you to not feel high blood sugars um, will then it'll feel it'll feel normal blood sugar normal blood sugars as lower blood sugars for a little while. I've seen I've seen people get through it in a couple of days. I've seen people take a week or so, um, but you know, I would, I would definitely expect that to happen, but you're going to have to prepare yourself mentally. Like I'm not actually low. I just, this is a feeling I'm having because of this. So maybe you're going to want to, maybe you're going to want to titrate this. Maybe you're going to want to start on a Friday and go, you know, just start with a one unit across the board for 24 hours and live like that for a couple of days and then push it up a little, up a little, up a little, and just keep bringing it down slowly. I mean, maybe that really is the best idea for you. Again, I'm not a doctor. No, kind of, yeah, yeah,
1: that's that's essentially what they want me to do is um they call it exposure therapy, is to see that again, retrain your brain, um, to be like, okay, Matt 110, and eventually your brain will learn like, okay, like you're you're not dying. <laughs> you <laughs> can be here and you can be
0: fine. Right. No, I mean, and so I think, and and, and if you, that's what you're going to try, like forget everything else I said, if you want, that's fine. <laughs> but if that's what you're going to try, I still think a stable basal rate across 24 hours to start with is a great way to start. Because if you try to start, if you try to start adjusting off of one, two, three, four, five, six different basal rates the variability there is so great you're never going to figure it out i'd rather see you set it at one and then come back and say you know what one is keeping me super stable at 140 this is terrific but while i'm at work from three to seven it turns out i need it to be more like 0.5 now or something like that Mm -hmm. like like it's so much easier to figure those things out when you're starting from one basal program one one basal rate i think
1: yeah no that totally makes sense that way you can see exactly where you fluctuate and from what time to what time yep
0: and when you make that adjustment, just remember that just like just like your bolus insulin doesn't go in and begin to start working immediately, your basal doesn't either. So if you are consistently getting higher at 3 p.m. or consistently getting lower at 3 p.m., you need to change your basal more like at 2 p.m. so that it has time to mm. either ramp up to stop a high or to start titrating down to get in the way of a low. I'm telling okay. you, I think you might really love the pro tip episodes.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely going to listen to that. Like, oh, as oh. soon as we're done here, I'm going to start playing <laughs> that in the
0: background. Well, you already then apologize to the paramedic for me. Um, <laughs> is he an EMT or a paramedic? I forget.
1: Uh, he's a paramedic.
0: Apologize to him because very likely days from now, you're going to be like, you know, Scott says, and he's going to be like, please stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: he's going to be
0: like, yeah, Scott says this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, trust me. I get a lot of notes from people who are like, my husband's tired of hearing your name. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm sorry. I know I, There's part of me that wanted you just to explain your whole thing and go on. And then like halfway through, I was like, I wonder if I couldn't help her get through this. So Mm -hmm. I, I shifted my gears a little bit. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to?
1: Um, no, I think we basically hit all the points that, that I wanted to talk about.
0: Cool. That's amazing. How do you feel after like making like some sort of a, even though it's just a kind of sub a subconscious decision? Like I'm going to, I'll try that. Does it make you nervous or how do you, how do you feel about it?
1: Um, I feel good. I, I want to say, I feel, uh, I guess the best word would be empowered going forward. Um, because I'm like, okay, you know what? I, I have a plan. I'm a, I'm a planning kind of person. Mm-hmm. So having some kind of a time frame and a plan of what I'm going to do, what I can do really actually helps me quite a bit.
0: That's excellent. Can I ask you, uh, it's a little off topic, but not really, are you an anxious person aside from the diabetes?
1: Um, Yeah, I would say I'm a little bit more type A. Um, I definitely like to have, you know, a plan and then 15 steps if that plan doesn't work out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You got lists of things around the house, Kelsey? Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, my wife hands me lists a lot. And I'm like, what do you need from me on this? And what I've learned over years is she just needs to see me crossing things off the list. <laughs> so
1: I'm telling you, that's the key.
0: Yeah. There are, please, if she ever hears this, there are times where I can't get to something off the list. So I'll start a second list of things I need to remember to do and put my line through on her list so she can feel better about it. <laughs> Turns out it doesn't matter, by the way, if you do the stuff on the list or not.
1: Yeah, um, so,
0: so. Yeah, yeah, it's meaningless. Do you, ever, do you ever write something on a list, never get to it, find the list a year later and go, oh, I never did that. Oh, yeah. And then realize oh, you're yeah. still alive and nothing has changed.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I guess it was fine that I didn't do this. Yeah. Thing.
0: It, once you get mellow in that space, now you're living in my head where I'm just <laughs> I just keep I do actually keep a list of things I need to do, but I keep it very flexible. And something that's at the top of my list today could easily end up at number 10 and something at 10 could end up at one. I just stay, I try to stay flexible with what, what the needs are around things. And I think of diabetes the same way as a matter of fact. Um, yeah, I, I I'm super like hopeful for you and really interested. I am really serious. Would you keep me in the loop on this? Like you don't have to report in, but if this works for you or doesn't, would you let me know? Cause this episode won't go up for a number of months and I'd love to be able to put like a, like a follow up email, at the back of this and let people know how it went for you.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do that. Thank
0: you very much. I really do appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, as we say goodbye, what kind of dog did I make you take out of the room? That sounds like, it, it sounds like it <laughs> um, could take I have a bear. two
1: dogs actually. So one is a basset hound and one is a German shepherd.
0: I thought was the, was the shepherd, the one that barked. Yep. Damn it. I thought that sounds like a German shepherd. I should have said it. I would have seemed like a genius. <laughs> now it just feels like I'm making it up afterwards. Damn it. Damn, <laughs> damn, 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 oh, uh, Well, for anybody else who thought it was a German Shepherd, I was with you. Um, <laughs> beautiful dogs. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash Juicebox. You spell that G V O K E G L U C. A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juicebox. Thanks also to Touched by Type 1. Don't forget to find them at touchedbytype1.org. And of course, those Diabetes Pro Tip episodes can be found at juiceboxpodcast.com, diabetesprotip.com, or right there in your podcast player, beginning at episode 210. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.